Good morning to you. It's really a joy to be able to share with you a little bit of what the Lord has done. And I want to emphasize this from the very beginning. Everything you're going to hear this morning, uh, it's not because of me, my team, my church, my friends. It's the Lord's work. Um, let me also set my timer because there is another service after this one. So we have to stick to our 30, 35 minutes. Today, there will be a sermon. We're going to look at the Bible. We're going to learn something. We're going to be reminded of, of some things that we already knew. Uh, I'm going to be talking about my ministry today with All for Aid, working with refugees. But a lot of that would not make sense unless I tell you a little bit of my story. So in two minutes, I'm going to attempt to, to share my testimony. This is a photo of my family. They would love to be here, but we just arrived from another trip, so the kids were very tired, and I drove from Frankfurt this morning. Uh, but this is my wife, Annalena, and our two uh, boys, Eloy and Louis. And as Jeff said, um, I'm currently working for a, a charity called All for Aid, whose vision is displaced people attaining life in all its fullness, based on that Bible verse in John 10.10. 10. Um, I was born in Brazil. And I was born in a Baptist church. And I was one of those terrible kids. I'm sure you don't have any of those here. I was the one sitting in the back. I was the one throwing papers, you know, on, on people making like airplanes. I was, I was the one that in church retreats, I was connecting. This is terrible. Kids don't learn from that. Um, a wire into the socket and then in the door handle. So like doing all sorts of pranks on people. But there was something really interesting. Whenever there was a missionary coming to church, where was I? Here, in the front row, paying attention. And no one could believe it. So that explained my calling. My calling was a sort of a gradual thing. I never had that moment where like God showed up to me and said, you are called to serve me in ministry. But like since I was a child... And then becoming a teenager, you know, serving in church, translating for missionaries. This passion for mission was growing my heart. But I also had another dream, to work for the Air Force in Brazil. And then when I was 18, I took a test. And I sat in a, in a sports hall with 2,000 uh, young men. And 20 would be selected. And I was number 18. And, and I, tell, I tell everyone, this was like God's, because... No matter how intelligent you are, no matter how, how much you study, the fact that every question in that exam I had seen in mock tests tells me that God had a plan for me to, to be there. And I've learned a lot from that experience. I worked for five years at the Brazilian Air Force. I was happy. But that passion for missions was still there. And it was still growing. And at some point, I couldn't deny it. So I decided to leave. And I went to uh, the Baptist Seminary in Sao Paulo. I studied for four years. At the end of my studies, my church decided to give me a, a, a gift, a graduation gift. And this was a mission trip to Mozambique. I served in Mozambique for a few months. From there, I served in Wales for a year, in the middle of the valleys, in a place called Abertradur, that I'm sure none of you have ever heard about. One main road, one school, one church, one mini market, uh, a bus to go to the capital, to Cardiff, every six hours. Um, sheep everywhere. So coming from Sao Paulo, big town, to Abertradur, that was a big shock. That was God working in, 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 in my life and preparing me for ministry, I believe. Eventually, I ended up going to England. 
where I served also in a Baptist church for five years as an assistant pastor. By that time, I was already married. My wife is German. We had met. We fell in love. And we are living happily together in this wonderful church in London when I receive a message, an email, from the IBC church in Frankfurt. Rodrigo, we have heard about you. We know you have a German wife. We know you guys are considering or praying about to come to Germany. Would you consider to come and work with us? I was quite shocked when I came to meet with the leadership and to consider that possibility because the best way to explain this is, is look, look at, at this canvas. Like everyone would look at this church as this destroyed canvas, you know, painted in wrong colors, burned, broken. The church had 40, 50,000 euros in debt at the time when I came. The church had like 20, 25 people in a good Sunday when they had that many. When it was raining, there was more water inside the building than outside the building. And apart from all of that, huge theological problems because one of the previous leaders came up with this idea that if you pray, you don't have to seek medical support. And then someone from the church died actually of cancer because he refused to go to the doctors. And I came into that church asking God, God, is this really the place where you're calling me? And God gave me this picture, and it's not like, like a dream or a vision, but in my heart, I felt God telling me, Rodrigo, don't look at this church as this destroyed canvas. Look at this church as this blank canvas. And I want you to go there, you and Annalena, and I'm going to bring more people there, and I'm going to paint a beautiful picture. It's not beautiful yet. You can see the picture yet, but don't look at it as this destroyed canvas. Look at it as this blank canvas. Brothers and sisters, based on that, we came. We arrived in Frankfurt in 2013, and what's happening at the time? One of the biggest waves of refugees are arriving in Germany at the same time that we arrive in Germany. And this church, which is like already dead, just missing the funeral, in need of being revitalized, it starts being revitalized by the influx of refugees. Not by my power as a pastor, not by my ministry, not by, by the leaders, not by anyone, but by God himself bringing these people to our doorsteps. We didn't make any effort to go after them with flyers in Farsi or, or, or Arabic. They came to us. I remember the first one. Is this guy called, um, here to your right that we're going to call him Neck because I know you're filming, so we cannot say his true name. Um, I was here on stage preaching when I saw him coming through the back door and the ushers started telling him, go and find a seat, and he refused. And this is me, just from a distance, looking at what's happening. And he looks at me and I feel like he wants to talk to me. You, you, you have that feeling before, like someone's looking at you at a distance and you know they want to talk to you. And he's nervous, so he's walking from one side to the other. The whole sermon, I'm trying to preach, and this guy is distracting me at the back, just walking from one side to the other, really, really nervous. And as soon as I say amen, this guy runs to me, to the front, and he says, are you the pastor? And I say, yes. Pastor, my name is Nak. I am from Afghanistan. I am a Muslim. But I am not one of the radicals. Actually, I was fighting against Taliban because my father is a general in the army. And in one of the battles, I was shot. And then he raises his trousers to show me a big scar. And he says, Pastor, it took me two years 
to flee Afghanistan. I was robbed on the way. I was put in prison on the way. I was deported from one country to the other. It took me two years, but then I arrived in Germany two weeks ago, and they put me in this big dormitory with other refugees. And I was sleeping there one night when I had a dream. And in my dream, a man in white showed up to me, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And pastor, I couldn't get this dream out of my head, so I started asking everyone, what does that mean? Who is that man? What does that mean? Who is that man? And then, pastor, I've been asking everyone, and someone at that camp said, look, I'm not sure, but I think this is in the Bible. So I came here to ask you, is this in the Bible? Literally asking to be discipled and baptized because the Lord himself had already revealed himself to him. And that's what we did. We baptized Nick, and this photo was taken on the day of his baptism, and we are hugging each other, facing the baptism pool in the church, and the cross by the pool. After Nick, it was like a snowball effect, with no effort from our side. We baptized people at the church, in the baptistry. We baptized people in lakes, because sometimes they were scared of being baptized at the church, but they would accept to be baptized in a lake in public. But we even baptized people, and I hope you don't um, get disappointed with me, uh, even in bathtubs sometimes, in homes. Because they would come and say, Pastor, I, I've read the Bible. I know the baptism is a public demonstration of my faith, and I don't care about my life. But my mom, my sister, my brother, my son, they're still there. And I don't want to put them in risk. So can we do it in my home? You come and baptize me in my bathroom, in, 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 in the tub. I invite my friends, so it's still public. I want to testify to them. I invite those I, I trust. And we normally would say, yes, we, we can do this. And in that photo to the right, you can see like the number of, of baptism certificates that we are signing. It was, was something incredible what the Lord was doing at that time. Next one. You can help me from the back. I think it stopped working. As this was going on, you know, there is no way you can relate to refugees and not learn about their practical needs too. So the spiritual side was going side by side with the practical, with the practical side. And the church really engaged into um, supporting them in different ways. For instance, um, providing language classes. We uh, organized events where we invited them for dinners at the church. Not working. Um, we helped them preparing CV to look for jobs. We helped them to find accommodation. And through all this movement, both the spiritual... There was a big jump. Let's go back a little bit. Next. The next photo I would like to show you was like the photo of the church revitalized. It's a beautiful picture of a, a group of about 100 people. Nearly one year after I arrived, you see children, you see a band, you see 
happiness, you see joy, you see a church fully revitalized. Remember that debt of 50,000 euros? Completely paid. Up until today, I have no idea how. Because I, as, a, as a pastor, I was never looking at the finances for some reason at that time. Um, a miracle. That's what happened. A, a, a miracle of a church being revitalized, as I said, through the influx of refugees. All of that led, you can go to the next one that you're showing me. Um, all of that led us to a point where um, in 2017, I decided to set up a charity because, you know, in Germany, sometimes you can only go s as far as a church, especially if you're like what they call the Freie Evangelisch, yeah? Um, so asking to use a sports hall in Frankfurt was difficult as a church. Asking to have access to the camp to, to do homework support for the kids as a church, very difficult. So I said, I'm going to set up a charity because as a charity, we'll, have, we'll get access. And this worked. And that's what we started doing. And then um, that's the beginning of All for Aid. And that's all, that's all I had in mind, to help uh, in practical ways to have access in Frankfurt. But the Lord has blessed us and has caused us to grow. And in this picture, you can see um, the places where we are working today in Frankfurt, Germany, in Bucharest, Romania, where we have houses for uh, Ukrainian refugees. In Lesbos, Greece, um, an island where... Um, the largest camp in Europe has been for quite a few years, Larnaca in Cyprus. And we have a plan to start something in Adana, Turkey this year, if, if, if the Lord allows us to. We had everything kind of ready, but then with the events happening there, we decided to postpone it a little bit. But more important, importantly than uh, where we work, what I like to emphasize is how we work. And there is no better Bible, Bible verse to to explain that in 1 Peter 3.15, which says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The work of All for Aid is what we call compassion ministry. We are helping women and, and girls to have access to shower. We are helping refugees to have access to laundry. We are, we are helping um, refugees to have housing, to have accommodation. We are providing food. We have food banks in our centers. It's a compassion ministry. But we do what we do with the hope that they will come to us and ask, why are you doing this? And they do ask all the time so that we have an opportunity to tell them about the gospel and about the reason for our hope. Now we come to the sermon. It's going to be very short, but I think it's important. Second Kings Chapter 5, 1 to 5. We're going to read that in a, in a moment. And I want to look at three lessons that we can learn from this text. As I give you some examples of how we apply this in our ministry at All for Aid. But also bring you some applications to our lives in our context. Because not, not all of us are working with refugees um, full time. But there are still things that I think they are applicable and transferable to all our context. So let's read it. It's a very well-known story of Naaman. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was highly respected and esteemed by the king of Syria because through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to the Syrian forces. He was a great soldier, but he suffered from a dread, a dread skin disease. In one of their raids against Israel, the Syrians had carried off a little Israelite girl 
who became a servant of Naaman's wife. One day, she said to her mistress, I wish that my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria. He would cure him of his disease. When Naaman heard of this, he went to the king and told him what the girl had said. The king said, go to the king of Israel and take this letter to him. So Naaman set out, taking 30,000 pieces of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of fine clothes. The letter that he took read, this letter will introduce my officer Naaman. I want you to cure him of his disease. And you know how the story continues. The king of Israel gets desperate because he's asking himself, how can I cure this man? The prophet Elisha comes in to help and he tells Naaman to wash himself in the river Jordan seven times. He's reluctant at first, but eventually he does it and he's healed. And then, you know, it's interesting in the final verse of that chapter what, 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 the, what it says about Naaman, what his conclusion now I know that there is God in Israel. It's a beautiful story of someone finding God or someone being found by God. But it's quite interesting that everything starts with the little girl in verse 3. She's the one who told her mistress, I wish that my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria. Everything started with her. That's me in the past. <laughs> a nameless young girl. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name. She started the process of leading Naaman to faith in God. And I think that sometimes we, um, we make evangelism and missions a bit too complicated. And that's why I'm, I'm using this term, pointing people to God, because many times that's all we have to do. Look, look at this girl. You know, it was not like an elaborate evangelism speech. It was not like the full gospel in, 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 in 10 minutes. She simply pointed the way. And as he followed the way, he found God and was found by God. And I think there were at least three quite interesting characteristics or, or qualities in this little girl that enabled her to do that, to point Naaman to God, to point him to the way of God. And the first one is compassion. What does it mean to have compassion, to suffer together, to have pity for the suffering or misfortune of another, often including a desire to alleviate it? And I think this is especially interesting in this case here in the text, that she was so compassionate because the, the, the Bible tells the story. The, the Bible tells who she was. She was a slave. She had been taken from her country into Syria, probably by the very man that now she has compassion. Naaman was the, 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 the general of the army. Even if he didn't do it himself, personally, Men who were working under him did it. They took this girl. She was taken captive. She was mistreated. She, mistreated. She, was, she was removed from her family, from her friends, from the place that she belonged. And still, when she sees him suffering, she has compassion. What does that tell us about this girl? 
compassion is one of the things that we need if we're going to be able to point people to God. I imagine that many of us in her situation, if we were this girl, we would say something like, Aha, see? Payback. You mistreated me. Now you're being punished by God. Because compassion is not something that comes naturally. But she was compassionate. And compassion allowed her to point him to the ways of God. Compassion in our ministry is also very important. This is a photo I took from the camp on Lesbos when I was there for the first time in 2018. Lots of barracks. Uh, no space for kids to play at all. No sewage system. This is like looking closer. Nine to ten people living like in, in, in this very small tent. At that time, we had one shower and one toilet for every 200 people in that camp. Now imagine, especially coming from, from, from where most of those people come from, especially women and girls had no chance to take a shower because the men were dominating the whole place. Plus, men can remove their shirts and go to the sea because this is close to the beach and bathe themselves, you know, in public. Women, coming from where they come from, from Muslim countries, they cannot even remove their scarf. How, how can we not have compassion? And I know, you know, I avoid a lot of these conversations about the politics related to refugees because for me, it doesn't matter. Some people say, oh, but they shouldn't be there. They shouldn't have left. But they are. And they brought their kids. What's our role as Christians is to be judging and to be saying you shouldn't be here, you should go back. Or is to have compassion because they are already there. We choose compassion. So our way of showing compassion in that setting, for instance, is running a, a beautiful community center where we offer them access to laundry, access to showers. Laundry is for everyone. Showers is for girls and women because the men they can find a way and we cannot help everyone right sometimes we have 10 showers we have 10 washing machines um there is there is right now 3,000 people living in this camp but it oscillates a lot there has been as many as 25,000 people living in that camp before we cannot help everyone so we try to help the most vulnerable here you can see the space with a little bit of life in it. And you see some of the activities helping, uh, happening there. Hot showers, baby bath, laundry room, clothing distribution, personal hygiene items, activities. And when you think about activities, you can imagine like anything from tricot to self-defense for women. We, we, we've, we've run it based on, on the skills of the volunteers coming. Um, and we also have a food bank both at the center in, in Lesbos, Greece, and also in Larnaca, Cyprus, where we have been serving um, hundreds of people every month. And the way we do it, it's not my idea, so it's people from my team, I think it's quite great. Um, they put the, 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 the items in shelves, 
because, you know, we have people from Somalia, from Afghanistan, from, from Syria, and they don't like the same type of food. And we tried before, like, and, and, and very soon we realized, okay, that's not working, so let's do it in a different way. So we put on shelves, and they come in, and they have, like, a point systems where they, you know, they can take a certain number of items based on how many people are in their family. And as they choose the items, our team, our people are there talking to them, building relationship with them. As they wait for their laundry to be ready, we are there drinking tea, talking, relating, hoping for that opportunity to share the gospel. Compassion. Ukrainian refugees. March last year, three, four days after the beginning of the war, three of us decided to go there and pray. And we are, we are telling ourselves, we, we are too busy with Lesbos, we are too busy with Cyprus. We don't want to do something else in, 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 in Romania. Let's just go to the border and pray. As we get there and we see the situation, we said, okay, no, we, we cannot just pray. We have to do something. And this is what we decided to do. We decided to set up some housing in Romania, in Bucharest. And you can see, like, um, through the photos, you can kind of grasp our principle. We, we value quality rather than quantity. You know, if, if you take a hall like this, you can probably house 200 people if you put like them in mattresses, one close to the other. And it's great. There are people doing it that way, but it's not, it's not like the way we're doing. We set up like proper house that look like my house, look like your house. Nothing luxurious, um, but comfortable. And in a way that they can stay there for as long as they need, so they don't have to... To, to rush and, 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 and go back. Um, compassion. This is what compassion looks like in our context. What does compassion look like in your own context? When your work colleague is struggling with something, how can you show compassion? With people in your family struggling in different ways, your neighbors, your friends, how can you how can you show compassion as a way of leading them to God? I think that it's important to think about that. Because very often it's true compassion. As we give to people from what we have received from God, we are able to give a small testimony about our faith in Him. And helping them to get closer to him by being loving, by being compassionate. This girl also had something else quite interesting. Besides being compassionate, she also had credibility. And this could be a little bit of a stretch, but bear with me a little bit. Look at, look at this girl. We already know she is a foreigner. We know she's a child. We know she's a servant. And besides all of that, she's also female at a time where women didn't have a voice. So we know that she was about nine, ten years old because the biblical scholars like looking at the words that describes her plus the time of the war. She was under 12 for sure. She's young. She's a foreigner. And I mean, I guess some of you are a foreigner here in Germany, so you know what it is like. 
Besides all of that, she's a slave, she's a servant. She shouldn't be getting involved in, in these conversations. She should be quiet. Even though when she's female. She had no right to speak her mind. Even if she does, why would he, the big commander of the Syrian army, why should he listen to her? So I think it's quite interesting that besides all these disadvantages, she was heard. And when she said, when she pointed the way, she was heard, and, and Naaman actually followed that plan. Some people may say, well, he was desperate. That's why he heard her. Well, I don't think so, because a man as powerful as Naaman would have many people giving him advice. She was certainly not the only one. Credibility. We don't know how. But somehow she had credibility. I wonder if it was the way she was serving. So diligently, so, so lovingly. I wonder if just like Daniel, the prophet Daniel, she was seen praying in public three times a day. I wonder what was it. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we can clearly infer that she had credibility. Because when she spoke, she was heard. Credibility in our work is also important. The photo you see is from a space called the shop in our center, where women can come and they can collect things like underwear, bra, feminine hygiene items from the hands of other women. And it's, it is our promise, our promise to these refugee women that they can go there and choose the color of the brass among other women in our team. And no man would go in, in, in that room. No man would go in, in, into that space. So it, it's a rented facility. Last year, I remember a situation where the landlord wanted to come because he wanted to fix something. And we had to fight with him to hold this guy by the door and tell him, you're not going to come here. You can come after 5 p.m., after we are closed. But you're not going to go inside. Because it takes one man to be seen in that place, and we lose our credibility. Last year, we, we were bringing food into Ukraine. We did that a few times. In one of the, those times, my colleague was driving this car, and the plan was to meet these people by the border. Two churches, they were coming to the border inside Ukraine. Our team was crossing from Romania into Ukraine, but just by the border, right? That was the plan. Our team crossed. They were not there. They tried to call them. They didn't pick up the phone. And then my friend Nixon, my colleague, he called me and said, Rodrigo, sorry to disturb you on, on your holidays. I was actually on holidays in Portugal when he called me. But this is the situation. And I'm not calling you to ask your permission. I'm calling you to tell you that I'm driving all the way to the church. And I said, Nick, are you crazy? You know, that's not the agreement. That's extremely dangerous. You're not. And he said, as I told you, I'm not calling to, to ask your permission. I'm calling to tell you I'm driving. And you know why? Because I gave my word to these people that they would have food. So they will have food. If they are not here, I heard they didn't have access to petrol. So I'm assuming they couldn't drive here. That's why they're not here. So if they couldn't drive here, 
I'm driving to them. I'm bringing this food because I told them they would have food for the next month and they are depending on us. That's like an extreme example of credibility. But it's something that helps us to see how, how important credibility is. What about in our, in our, in our own context? Would you like to be able to point people to, to God? You have to have credibility. Arriving at work late will not help. Not, not doing your best at work would not help. Not doing your best in your studies in your school wouldn't help. You know, we, we, build, we build credibility through our actions daily, small and big. And when we open our mouth and we say something to someone to bring them closer to Jesus, the more credibility we have, the more likely they are to listen to us. I remember my grandmother telling me this silly story. Apparently, it's a true story. In Brazil, in the past, people used to uh, compliment each other in the street, saying like, uh, the peace of the Lord. It's like saying hello. Um, I don't know if in your countries they also do that, but in Brazil it was very common in the past. Instead of saying hi, you just say, the peace of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, and then the other person responds also, yeah, the peace be, may also be with you, something like that. And there was this neighbor who was saying the peace of the Lord to another neighbor who was not a believer. And, you know, after the third time that they passed by each other and she said, the peace of the Lord, this neighbor turned to her and said, look, I'm really sorry, but if this peace you're talking about means to be fighting the whole day with your husband like I hear from my house, I don't need this type of peace. <laughs> Lack of credibility. It hinders us to point people to God. Finally, very briefly, wisdom. This girl had a lot of wisdom in the way she, she pointed Naaman to the way of God. First of all, she speaks at the right time. And what's the right time? What's the best time to bring people closer to God? It's the time of need. It's the time of suffering. She not just speaks at the right time, she speaks to the right person. Go back to the, to the text if you, if you haven't realized it. To whom does she speak, the girl? Does she speak to Naaman directly? No. She talks to Naaman's wife. Very wise. And thirdly, she knew what to say. She knew exactly what to say. And all that she said, well, if, if my master would have known about the, the prophet in Israel. Very short and very concise. Wisdom is also important in our work. The work of bringing people to Christ, you know, especially if they're coming from Muslim countries, it, it's very slow. It's very relational. I remember this, this young girl called uh, Zara that came into our center on Lesbos. And firstly, she was, you know, washing her clothes. And then when she built trust in, in us, then she was coming to take showers. And very soon, one of our female missionaries uh, became friends with her because she could, she could speak very good English. 
And a, rela a relationship, a friendship started. They're talking at the center. Then our female uh, missionary invited her for walks by the beach. Then she invited her for a cafe so they could have ice cream and drink coffee together a few times. Eventually, she invited her to her own house for a meal. She came. At some point, conversations about the gospel started. She had questions. We're, we're not hiding her Christian. She was a Muslim, Zara. Conversation started. She had many questions. And then she was invited for another dinner. This time, surprisingly, she came with her husband, which was a huge step. Her husband and the small kids. They were talking. They were having a meal. By the end of that meal, our female missionary says, um, oh, no, Zara says, oh, I, I have to go. It's getting late. And then our female missionary says, well, that's fine. I also have to, you know, get ready to bed because tomorrow is Sunday. I'm going to church. The husband, who was not even part of that conversation at that point, comes and says, are you going to church? Can we come with you? They came to church the following Sunday. And for the glory of God, no, they didn't accept Christ and they didn't get baptized that Sunday. They came back, and if they had about, like, 20 questions about the gospel every time they meet, now they had 100. More questions, more conversations. And I think it took something like seven, another seven, eight months from that first visit for us to be able to see them going through the waters of baptism and coming to faith in Christ. If we would have gone in a very offensive way the first time we met Zara, Probably it wouldn't have worked. Probably her husband would, ha would have forbidden her to come into our center because he would say, we are Muslim, you cannot be a, a, a around Christians. Wisdom. Wisdom. To be able to point people to Christ. In our own context, how can we apply wisdom? Every now and again, there will be people coming to you and saying things like, I'm so lonely. Or they will say, oh, you know, I have been sick. I have been diagnosed with cancer or my, my husband is sick. They would say, oh, I lost my job. They would say, I have this big problem. Or they would say, you know, I'm, I'm so afraid of losing my job or I'm so afraid that my child gets sick. People are sharing those things with us all the time. When you hear something like that, remember, it's in the time of need. It's in the time of suffering that we have a great opportunity to testify about the love of Jesus. And just like this little girl, you don't have to open your Bible and preach for half an hour if you think that's not going to be effective. Someone mentioned to you a need. Someone mentioned to you a problem. Respond saying something like, well, this is really bad. I will be praying for you at my home when I go back home tonight. If you're a bit bolder, you can say, can I pray for you now? I know, I know you're not a believer, but I believe in a God who is all-powerful, and I know he can, he, can, he can help you. Or let me throw Jeff here, you know, I didn't talk to him, but I, I'm sure he would agree. You really don't know what to do in that situation. It's too big for you. Maybe someone's coming saying, I'm going through a divorce or something. It's something that's too big, but you want to be able to point that person somewhere. Just say, look. I don't know if you know it, but I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I go to a church every Sunday. 
would you like to talk to a pastor? I, I can ask him to call you, or, or maybe you can come with me on Sunday, and I'm sure Jeff will gladly <laughs> get involved and, 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 and counsel that person. So just be aware, be wise to seize these opportunities to be able to point people closer to God, slowly by slowly, step by step. Compassion, credibility, and wisdom. With those three things, we will be able to effectively point people closer to God. I want to thank you once again for the opportunity to be here. Um, every time we talk about missions, there is no other way. There's always three responses. I've heard that from since I was young. You can pray. And now you, you, you know me a little bit better. Um, you can pray for me, for my ministry. You can go. We have, we have uh, several opportunities for volunteers to come and, and help us in the places where we work. Um, and you can also give. Uh, I have some cards somewhere. They look like this. It's like a response card. Where you, you can take a, boss, a, a box here if you'd like uh, more information um, so that you can pray for us, if you'd like to uh, volunteer, or if you'd like to give. The, the cards are on the table outside. I will also be uh, by the table if you, if you have questions or if you'd like to talk some more. But if you fill, up, fill, fill out the card, uh, you know, we, we'll get back to you with the information and start giving you like, um, information so that you can continue to pray, like our newsletters and, and so on. Or with the giving, we also give to you the, the, the bank information later if you fill out the card. Okay? Uh, may God bless you. And thanks again, Jeff. <laughs>